You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate Radio Show here live in the old city district downtown Batuta, recording from the Budgie Smuggler Studio. You're joined, of course, by myself, Clancy Overall, editor of the Batuta Advocate, and Errol Parker, editor at large, with me. How are you, Errol? Good, mate. Cracking day here in the Diamantina. Not a cloud in the sky. I think that summer's just around the corner. It's warming up. It's great. We've actually recorded in the Diamantina Shire uh, 1,000 days of zero community transmission of coronavirus. That's been great. We actually haven't had one active case within 1,000 kilometres of here for quite some time. Oh, no. I think there was two cases up there at Inaminka just down the road. But uh, um, I think they've been able to clear that up. Yeah, they've been able to isolate and contact trace. Two on more that. down there at Tibbaburra. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, they all got off the Ruby Princess. But today's guest is a, he's a Queenslander. He's out bush still, but they get a sea breeze where he is in the uh, in the kind of granite, I guess you'd say granite winery region of. They're affectionately known as the Queensland ski fields. <laughs> Stanthorpe, you know, the home of Billy Moore and the home of Kev Carmody. Thank you for joining us today, Kev. Thanks for having us. You fellas look like that. You you've got so many people listening to your program. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it's congratulations. Yeah, it's, it's good to do a bit of bush to bring a bit of bush to everyone too. You know, it's a weird time in the world where we're all learning how to use programs like this. So I appreciate you jumping on the Zoom call as well. In your music, Kev, you, you're some sort of a I guess anthropologist at times, and a lot of your music kind of bounces between different parts of of the world. Really, you've written about those Logan kids. Uh, a, lot, a lot of your songwriting from up north in the in the cane fields and of course you know down through charleville julia creek syrup and damper and salted corn beef yeah. uh, you've been all around the place where would have you have called home when you look back at your younger years oh i i, I just suppose uh, australia yeah i mean there was no place or well, it was mainly queensland because we got better pay as drovers in queensland than we did in new south wales Having that, that connection to the outside world with the radio, yeah. you know, listening to the symphony orchestras because we could get shortwave on this little radio. Yeah. So we could hear Moscow and hear the Moscow Symphony Orchestra playing Beethoven. Yeah. We could hear so, so much different music as well as the old hillbilly stuff that in the morning, in the evening time, we'd get the classical stuff. Uh, but it gave me a global concept fancy of you know what? It was bigger than what what I was seeing because I I could see the night sky over nighttime and see the whole eternity and infinity of, of the of the cosmos. We were isolated and insulated in some ways because we, we travelled as a as a group, and like knowing that it was a real skill. In well, it was a real skill. Knowing that that your home was everywhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And we never yeah. had swags. We never had. We, we just had a lump of canvas and two old army blankets from the second hand store. And every day you had to move eight mile by the permit. They give you a permit, so you had to move move that amount. But like seeing little cars born, like the whole of creation. Yeah. I wrote that song. I've been moved. Uh, the, the lyrics. The first time I ever. Well, I I always do the music first and put the lyrics. But this time. On the back of old, you know, breakfast cereal yep. uh, cardboard, yeah. I wrote down, "I've been moved by the wind upon the waters and the shadows as the leaves are blown." And then the second verse is about my our eldest son when he was born. Like, I've been moved by the crying of the newborn, 
and also not only the humans being born, but the little calves being born on the road. And they, you know, they can't make that stage, no. that eight bloody mile. So you'd have to pick them up. And boy, some of them old cows, mate, boy, oh boy. <laughs> when they coming at you, those old Herefords, boy, they were bloody wild old buggers. Um, Mum had put their afterbirth on her arms yeah. so that the old cow wouldn't, she, she could do anything with them calves. She put them in the truck, take them along the stage till, you know, till they could learn to walk proper. She'd take them along to the, the lunchtime stage, pull them out of the truck so that the old cow could, um, the old cow would know, learn that the calf was in the truck. She'd run up and mum would pick the calf up, take it out, put it on the ground. The old cow wouldn't even bloody bother her because she had the smell of the afterbirth on her. Yeah, right. You know, old yeah, cow right. could smell that and she yeah. trusted mum. But boy, us fellas, we go, go near, boy, you'd be around the f- other side of the bloody truck running. Yeah. <laughs> old cow would be at you, you know. But it was that beauty of the of, of the whole universe. As a kid, I just thought, wow, this is phenomenal. And then listening to the music, the way it was put together, and like just the, the, the smell of the, the horses and stuff like that. All your senses were aware, and you didn't have the sounds of trucks and bloody the urban sounds. I mean, when I go to Sydney, yeah. how you fellas exist down there with yeah. that background? No, yeah. Oh, but you don't. You're a patooter. Yeah, 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 yeah. You see, yeah, you're yeah. right, mate. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You fellas would have to take these fellas from Sydney and take them up to Batuta yeah. and, and take yeah. take the, the earphones off them and that and just let them listen to the sounds of the universe. Yeah. And the same yeah. with the, light, the light pollution and the stars and all that kind of stuff that all that all kind of informed your, your writing. Oh, look, Kenji, I tell you, what freaked me out when I first went to Sydney, which is in 1988, I got a lift down on 30-ton truck of bloody uh, seafood. Got a lift from Contaf, just north of Brisbane, yeah. with Cliffy. Yeah. Boy, Cliffy was something else, mate. He had 30 tons, but, oh, shit. He did the, the run every <laughs> every week. And I pull it, turned up with a guitar and a little bloody case, a little port, and uh, he took me right, but he smoked. Yeah. See, so and he smoked that other stuff. Yeah. Oh, right. You see, and that's the, the first uh, time I bloody smelled it. And bloody hell, mate, you river. crossed the McLean River with a 30-ton <laughs> coming the opposite way. <laughs> and here he is, mate, happy as Larry. Yeah, he got bloody 30, 30 centimetres between him and the other boat. On the, Shit. On the, on yeah. the, what they call the River Rena Rowley. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> that's right. But anyway, we get to bloody Sydney at 4 o'clock in the morning. And uh, we unloaded. I helped him unload at the fish markets there. And he gave me, in a 30-tonner, it was empty, of course, but he gave me a, a like a, a Uber ride in a 30-tonner down Broadway, and I had to meet this bloke at the Broadway Hotel. Yeah. You know their opposite Grace Brothers or the yeah, old, yeah, yeah. is it still there? Yeah, I think it's a Westfield. Yeah, now. yeah, well, that's Shepherd Street. That's where I had to meet the fellow. So I sat on a bloody milk crate. It, Cliffy dropped me off right there. Like it was like a taxi ride in a 30-tonner. <laughs> and I sat there looking at this road, and I thought, holy bloody hell, this is progress freeway, mate. This is unbelievable. Because, like, just watching the city wake up from about 5 o'clock onwards. Yeah. Yeah, it was a bit weird. Because they all thought I was a derelict or something sitting there. Yeah. But they, they saw the guitar, but I suppose they thought, well, he's got some money. He hasn't yeah. worn that. In your writing, you talk about the deep north and the cane fields, and you kind of talk about this egalitarian society you lived in. With a, you know, I mean, Slim Dusty sang about it. Men of all nations and places. 
what was that like in the cane fields? Was that was that as as a driving family, or were you, was your family involved in the sugar cane? No, no. We well, see, mum be, being indigenous and 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 uh, dad being Irish, they couldn't get married in southern Queensland because it was just it was against the law, mm. right? So they went up to Cairns, back to the the you know the. Um, my grandfather was born in the bush before the turn of the 20th century in the middle of Lakefield National Park, right. you know, yeah. right up on the Cape. Yeah. Crocodile country, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crocodile Dundee. You want to watch out if you go up there. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's where they went to get married. So Dad was a volunteer in the Second World War. He got out, he married Mum, and they, they, went up, they got married in, in Cairns because it was really multicultural then. You know, oh, yeah. dad, worked, dad, dad worked in the sugar mill, shoveling bloody coal into the big furnaces for the uh, Mulgrave sugar mill. Right. And uh, right. he got his steam ticket, you know, because we, we yeah. could get rides on the little train, train the little little uh, steam trains. But then him and his dad, they had a, um, a block of land down in southern Queensland that they rented off the government. And the government said in 1950, unless you come back to the block of land, because we were four years in Cairns, unless you come back, we're going to take it off you. Our dad and mum came back, and um, dad used to do all the work for the for the stations and like fencing and uh, droving and mustering and branding. It was all contract them days. Yeah. For the big stations, and uh, that's how we come down to southern Queensland. But like we, we used to do the as a family because we're only a small unit. We used to do the smaller droving trips. You know, six, eight hundred mile max we wouldn't even get 800 probably 600 miles but that's the way we made a living and we used this block of land as a as a place to run the horses and the, you know milking cows and stuff like that but yeah like it was multicultural fancy up in up in uh, cairns there was maltese there was yugoslavs there was bloody greeks there was italians yeah it was multicultural uh we learned about the garlic we learned about bloody chili we learned about tomatoes all that sort of stuff because of the the immigrants that had come in after the Second World War. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. You know, and that, that's, and I, I actually did the last hand cut of cane at the Nambour Sugar Mill. Right. You know, just north of Brisbane. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's a bloody hard job, but she's good money. Yeah. yeah. Up there in she's, good, she's good money. Kevin Rudd country there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah look, I never bloody saw him on the cane knife. <laughs> no, you probably wouldn't. He didn't come from the floor, that bloke. <laughs> Mate, I'm so, um, where did music start to find a place in your life? Was it around sort of this time or was it yeah. something that come a bit later? No, look, it was always there. It was always there, as I said, that extension from listening to this you know, the symphony orchestra in bloody Austria or wherever on the shortwave radio yep. uh, yeah. to the, you know, the, the, the country in West, we became country in Western, the old hillbilly music. I just thought it was a great, great way of expressing yourself because it was a way of recording stuff too, like the Droven Woman one, you know, that that's three stories put together. One part there where, where the bloke gets given the horse that's what they do. You'd go past a big station, the horse breaker would break in the horses. They'd always come out to the driving camp of a night time, but they'd give you horses to quieten yeah. and to teach yeah. them how to, you know, work stock and that. Mm. Best way to do it is behind mm. a bloody mob of cattle, same old thing day after day after day, and you'd quieten them and they'd know their job. And then you'd drop the horse on the way back. So 
we'd get free bloody horses and they'd uh, they'd get them quietened. Yeah. Occasionally, you'd get a horse that somebody tried to break its spirit. Yeah. Whipped it, picked yeah. it a flogging. And uh, man, some of them, they would, Jesus, you'd have a rodeo every bloody morning you got on yeah. them. And you'd have yeah. to watch them because they'd go all right for a full day. Then after lunchtime, next thing, boy, there you were bloody that pig jumping all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you when you least expected it, yeah. So you'd get a bad one occasionally, and that's in that driving woman song. That's what happened to the yeah. fellow because you know, a fair few men got, or a fair few people got got hurt or killed. A bit yeah. like a bit like a dinger. You, you, you never know when it's going to turn. Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. That, yeah, they're smarter than the average dog. Yeah. So how old were you when you uh, decided that you might like to try and start making some music of your own? Well, look, that, that's the thing. It, it was about grandma and granddad gave us these little three-quarter guitars that when we were about oh, 10 or 11, and they were just bloody, you know, plywood bloody things. But our uncle, he, he taught us a few chords on it. But the thing was, you know, I, I was heard these old blues fellas again on the ABC, heard these fellas playing and thought, Jesus, they don't need a bloody band like Elvis. They don't need a band like bloody, you know, uh, Hank Williams or, or yeah. whatever. They yeah. can play the rhythm, the lead and the bass by themselves. I thought, bloody hell, I've got to learn how to do this because then you don't need a band. And anyway, <laughs> I was telling somebody this uh, as well. We um, we used to treat on the road drove in the rubbish uh, dumps. We used to treat them as open-air supermarkets. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> the little, country, little country towns, they just throw the bloody rubbish all over the bloody stock yeah. route. But we'd pick up the bolts, we'd pick up the nails, we'd pick up the bloody sheets of iron and roll up the bloody wire and everything. Because we'd recycle, we'd use it, you know, back home. Tell you what, the other thing is when they put grids in, one yeah. time you had to get out, yeah. open the gate up, put the cattle through and everything. And or if you were driving a motor car, if you had the money to have a motor car, you had to get out, open the gate, go on eight mile, next bloody gate, open it up. They put in these things called grids. Mm. Well, holy mm. bloody hell, didn't we get some hubcaps? <laughs> because when these old bloody cars, the old Hudsons and the bloody Chefs, when they when they hit the bloody grids for the first time, you know, when they first put them in, there'd be bloody up gaps, <laughs> hundred metres down the bloody road in the bush, and we'd be picking them up. So they make good things for you know, uh, yeah. watering your dog and feeding your dog and that. They weren't made in of fact, plastic. I, I, yeah, but anyway, in this bloody, one of these rubbish dumps, I found a bloody book and it said, uh, teach yourself the guitar. Now, I thought that was pretty good. It wasn't, you know, I'm going to teach you the guitar or, you know, you can learn the guitar. It was saying you can bloody learn it yourself. <laughs> but it was wet, you see. The book was wet. So I took it back to the campfire and, and you know, over a while I dried it out. But I learned then basically how to play with the four fingers, you know, so you yep, can yep. play your bass, your rhythm, you know, and you don't need a band. Helps to have a band, but I've never had one. So uh, that's where a, a song like uh, Cannot By Myself come from. That guitar piece in there was a little piece I, I made up to try and exercise the, this pattern with my fingers. Yeah. And then I just put words to it and Archie, Archie sings it and... I'm never going to sing it again, I don't think, because he just did such a beautiful job of that. God, that voice. That's what we're saying with these albums you released where you've kind of got 
all your friends and, 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 and different artists from around the country singing your songs. Were there many songs like that where you kind of thought, geez, they've done a good job here? I mean, personally, I'd say oh. Troy Cassadaly singing On The Wire, you know, that, that's the two, the best of the two of you coming together there. Oh, look, Troy, that man. Mm. like, And just you can feel that he feels the lyrics in that song. Mm. And I just, again, it's one of those songs, God, am I ever going to sing this again? Because it's like all, all the tracks on, on there. I don't know, it takes me to another level because it's just like these new ones coming on with these younger ones, reinterpreting the stuff, using a, a basic theme, but also uh, putting their own lyrics to it. Mm. You know, it's it's making it new again to the younger ones. And I can sit back behind the lounge chair now and just say, oh, yeah, gee, that, you know, you fellas can keep going. I can keep writing them here because yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it does fire me up to keep writing because I had nothing to do with the first album. The first compilation, Paulie Kelly did the lot. Yeah, right. He just sent through the thing. Right. Oh, here's Tex Perkins singing this, and oh, here's Troy Cassidy singing. Here's Johnny Butler playing a bit of slide. Paul, Jeez. Paul goes. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, and then like in this one, it's it's uh, Sean, his partner, Sean and him are, are doing it, and because they, they said, oh, you've got to listen to the the LP, the vinyl. I haven't got a bloody vinyl player here. <laughs> so Paul had to do it and listen to see if there's any bloody scratches or whatever on it. Because the only only last time I saw a vinyl was when the rapper started and they were scratching the bloody, yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. thing like this. And I thought, Jesus, you're stuffing up a bloody good bloody record there, mate. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. We've interviewed uh, Paul Kelly a couple times and he's all around – you know, he's whether he's in St Kilda or he's in King's Cross or he's in wherever he is in the world. You you seem to spend a lot more time in the bush and you spend do a lot of your oh, music. Geez. A lot of your music's made in the bush. Uh, how do you kind of exist around the kind of industry side of music? Do you does it come to you? It feels oh, like that because Paul is on the road a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, the the music side of things, like I knew that what I was writing. I mean, I never started recording until I was over 40 year old. Yeah. I, I just knew that it wasn't going to bloody work uh, commercially. Forget it. And I was never going to make video clips. No way. <laughs> so what I, what used to happen was I got to Queensland Uni. Would you believe they let me in? Triple Z radio station was at the uni. Yeah. And they had a one hour session of um, Blackfellow music run by Rossi Watson. He was yeah. a mate of mine. So I'd just come yeah. down with the guitar. We'd have a yarn like we're having like this. Yeah. And I'd say, oh, look here, I've got a new song. I've got a, uh, it's called Thou Shalt Not Steal. And I'd just play it live to air. And But he'd record it on the, on the quarter-inch tape. Then he put it on the cassette. Then he sent it to his mob, Tiger Bales, down in Radio Redfern, yeah. who would then yeah. put it on the cassette, send it to Triple R in bloody uh, Melbourne, who would then send it to bloody Broome, who would then send it to, to, to Northern Territory. Bama Bibra, or down to Bama Bibra in Cairns. Yeah, 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 everywhere. Before I ever re actually officially recorded the songs, they were out amongst <laughs> the bloody community radio stations for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know? The Murray Radio stations, some of the oldest in the country, aren't they, in, in terms of, um, you know, ongoing oh, yeah. community setups? Yeah. When did you start, you know, I mean, we just spoke with the with the label executive before helping us set up the Zoom call. When did you start meeting people like that? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, Miriam. Oh, yeah. boy, she, when did she's you start helped meeting, us like anything. When did you start meeting people like Miriam? Oh, well, only about, oh, crikey, a couple of months ago. 
Now, I'm talking about like in terms of working with the people from the uh, you know the music industry. When did you first start meeting people like oh. that? Oh, oh, way, way back, way back. Uh, let's say about 1989, mm. 88, 88. I think the first album came out. Yeah, on vinyl. According to the label, it didn't sell much at all. That yep. there again, I was so fortunate. I didn't have access to a phone for about eight years because of the special branch in with Jockey Peterson's regime in bloody Queensland. They had you tapped. So I didn't know what was going on. Yeah. But, yeah, oh, mate, he was something else, that fella. Well, it was, he so was you, something else. He had you tapped, did he? Is that what you're saying? You weren't using the phone? Oh, no, bloody fear. That's right. He's yeah. special, Branch. We, we caused a lot of people to have a lot of jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. sit up all night on the telephone, listening <laughs> till somebody picked it up and said... Uh, Mr. Bajelki Peterson is not a very nice person, or your police commissioner is bloody corrupt. <laughs> you you have to watch what you were saying. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they're not probably, they're probably a bit happier if you're giving them race tips for for, for Eagle Farm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm telling them where the local ladies of the night dwell because Russ Sin's the uh, the minister for everything. Yeah. And brown paper bags full of bloody money. The uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Yeah, well, he, he said there was no, there was no ladies of the night in Queensland. <laughs> there was no, there was no, yeah, there was, definitely wasn't. He just drove down, he drove down Wickham Street with his eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> Dead right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We won't say any names now because we might wind up in trouble. There's a few of them still alive, mate. I can yeah. tell you. There's one working for the Department of Home Affairs right now. I think. <laughs> uh, this is, <laughs> look out! We'll be put all. You'll yeah. be put all yeah. there, we'll and I'll be. I'll have the cufflinks. You have to. You'll have, have to throw the phone away again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mate. <laughs> yeah. So you, you got access to a phone eventually after the the Joey era wrapped up, and, and then that's when you started kind of, you know, talking to people that could kind of cut a few records for you. Yeah, we paid for the first Pillars of Society ourselves. Mm-hmm. But the big thing, my friend, was Bruce Elder from Sydney Morning Herald did a review that I didn't know about, but apparently, well, it was, it was just, a, he just said it was really good music. Okay, and then next thing, I've got all these people bloody sending me letters and notes and and stuck because, see, I had no telephone uh, and I was actually squatting at Queensland Uni. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> I was squatting, yeah. I put my bloody mattress behind the bloody filing cabinet in there. As a postgraduate student, I had a, had a room in yeah. a house that had a, it had a stove, it had a bloody a, a bathroom, it had everything in it. So why not utilise it? Which I did. It was a halfway house for the, the women too. Yeah, right. If they got, um, got, you know, uh, in trouble of a night time going from the university to the, w- the West um, West End Ferry. Yeah, right. They could race into my little place where I was, yeah, squatting. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, what else could I tell you? Um, Have they still got any grapes in Stanthorpe? Oh, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no, look, there's no peaches, there's no nectarines, there's apples and there's pears still left, but yet, no, God, wine, wine, wine and cheese, wine and cheese. Yeah, right. But I, I, one, one thing I wanted to ask, Kev, is when did you meet Paul Kelly? Because that seems like a pivotal moment oh. in both your careers. We've, we've interviewed Paul a few oh, times. And he's, he's pretty vague. He's just talking about, oh, yeah, yeah, we wrote that song around a campfire yeah. one night. I was like, well, where did you blokes meet? Because, you know, he's an Adelaide boy, 
Buy a Melbourne yes. and Hobart. Yeah, you know. Yeah, ah, oh, boys, I don't well, really see, have I... a home. You know, I like to travel. <laughs> around. Oh, dude, bloody hell! Oh, he's, he's having his on with that one. Yeah. No, well, the thing is, I, I was working um, with the with the uh, marginalised kids, you know, down in Logan City. Yeah, working there with them, and his brother, Martin, was working with the with the kids, and also the other his other brother, Tony. Yeah, right. So Martin and Tony, and then his mum, Kelly, she used to help with the the food and that, yeah, right. with these uh, you know marginalised kids because we used to go into the parks uh, of a night time and you know just well interact with these kids doing artworks and yeah. goodness knows what all. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I knew I knew his mum and his his two brothers and and his mum before I actually uh, knew him when I first went to, to Sydney. They took me to this uh, thing called the Enmore Theatre, yeah, right. and I was up the top top part. They put me out. I was up in the, in the bloody, I don't know what they yeah. call it, mezzanine. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, man, mezzanine. Yeah, place where you fall from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I was sitting near, there, and, and then in this row, and then this bloke that took me said, "Oh, that that's Paul Kelly up there." Right. And I said, "Oh yeah, who's that?" Because <laughs> we were looking at the go-betweens. Yeah, right. See, yeah. The go-between. They took me to see the go between, and Paul was in the audience. But anyway, after that, they took us around to the back to the side, with, with, and Paul was there, and uh, that's that's where I, I sort of first well, you know, I said yeah, okay, well I, I knew him, but then he he got in contact with me after the first album came out in 1988. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then he uh, he, he came up uh, with his young son Declan, and we took him camping. Yeah, right. He came up on the bus or he came up on the train. And then we took him to a big waterhole camping with our mob, and I had a um, one of those old trooper Land, Land Rover trooper troop carriers. Troopies, yeah. Every bucket, yeah, every bucket jammed into the back. So went to this place that just opened up called Wyvernhoe Dam, and that's when we really got together for the first time and actually started going jang jang. Yeah, yeah right. He, he writes extremely quickly. It's un. You got to pull him up. Whoop 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 whoop. <laughs> he goes so fast, mate. He, yeah, yeah. He's, He's an excellent writer. He's, he's just unbelievable. Like the topics that he writes on, mm. it's just so huge, eh? Yeah. 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 Is that, is that anyway, where he wrote from Little Things, Big Things Grow, the two of you, or, or was that? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I, I, I had a sort of a bit of an idea and very boring chord progression, and I switched it from the mandolin to the, to the banjo, and he got it on the guitar, and he had this concept of, you know, relationship thing between one-on-one, um, from this small thing, it's grown into something really big. And what happened with the song was, it turned into a, a cultural love song. Yeah. Uh, because I, I said, like, it's great, the chord progression's boring, but it'd be great to tell a, so- a story with. That's what happened. I just told him that the thing that really sort of took us uh, or our, our interest was walking in on the camp one night. Mum just said, I just listened to the ABC News there and uh, the Gringy Mob just walked off Vesti Station. Yeah. We said, we thought, holy bloody hell, this is what? This is 1966. Like they're going to bloody shoot them, or they're going to they're going to wind up with the bloody cuffs on, like looking out through the pigeonhole. They're going to log them up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I told Paul about that, and he got interested, and all of a sudden we, you know, yeah, it, it, it happened, and it, it was on the back burner. Believe me, as Paul will tell you. It was just a filler. We just thought, okay, that's it. 
So you didn't. No, you I couldn't didn't, recall. You didn't, you didn't think, oh, we'll be singing this at uh, Gough Whitlam's funeral one day. Oh shit, no, <laughs> no way. And Ernie Dingo played the didge on it. Yeah, well, he happened yeah, to be yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, because no, yeah, yeah. Ernie's coming up here in, in a few 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 weeks' time. But yeah, no, that, that's what happened. Is um, it it was just a, a, virtually a filler, and I couldn't record it because the old man passed away. Yeah. So Gumajai, I couldn't culturally uh, say the name. Uh, for two years, yeah. so uh, my, my recording of it was just—it really wasn't a proper recording. It was just a—we were doing something for a bloody TV mob, and they just happened to flick the switch, and me and Paul and the titters were singing it. Yeah, right. It was for TV. But I've never actually done a proper recording of it. But yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't oh, I just felt so proud to be there with um, Nolly Pearson and the orchestra and that at that memorial for for Goff. You know, because we, we really did think that, you know, he started off something for us, Mob. Did you see much of that as, as a young man up up in the top, top of Australia? I mean, the Lord, so the Lord Vesty idea of an aristocrat from overseas owning land, was that was happening in the Gulf as well at some point too, um, with, with these, you know, families from London and Scotland were, you know, sight unseen owners of a, of a cattle station. Oh, crikey, yeah. Yeah. Well, right back with, with dad and that, like dad worked for Kidman. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and they had mass, they had heaps of stations, mainly mainly where the good water was. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when, when they got rain, they'd move, as you know, they'd move the cattle between the, the, the water holes and fatten them on the way down. It was the long paddock. Yeah. It was the long paddock. And boy, you, like, we, we, had, we got some of those um, Kimberley bloody bullocks, yeah. five year old bullocks. They were yeah. like racehorses. <laughs> Hey, yeah. big fellas, those yeah. short horns. Yeah, they were called. They were all zebu. What they call them, Brahmin now. Yeah, zebu. Them yeah. days they were short horns. Yeah, but they were bloody big buggers. And yeah. boy, they, you're all right yeah. while you're on a horse. Mm. But boy, you get off one foot and holy bloody hell, you were gone. In the round they, they had you. <laughs> you. You're dead right, my yeah. friend. You're right. Yeah, I've spent some yeah, long yeah. days in the round yard <laughs> and I didn't have a pole. I was just there with my hat oh. going, shoo, shoo, get in there. Yeah. Or, a, or a lump of polythene, yeah. a lump of polythene, and you watch that big bull. Yeah. You, you just watch him lift his head up with those big ears, the zebu mob, yeah. flick his bloody, flick his ears at you. He's watching you. And yeah. then he, he put his head down. Next thing you see He's over here, bloody, like 30 bloody metres away or 20 metres away. Yeah. yeah. You're watching and you're keeping the right. Yeah, and you're keeping that rail real close. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the rails of the yard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I've been there before. <laughs> no, well, um, the Vesties had to hand back a whole heap of land um, in Venezuela, I think, about 15 years ago. They had to hand it, hand it back to Chavez. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, my friend, that they they had the contract for for the British Allied forces yeah. in the war, and they supplied all the bloody meat. And like they were paying a pepper peppercorn for land, you know, right across the top of northern Australia and everywhere else. Yeah, like it was off the bloody planet. And you know, the the, the conditions were atrocious. Mm. I mean, at least our family, we we were we were a, a unit. And Dad did the the being Irish or you know being Irish descent, he did the uh, the negotiating for the job, and we only had all of us. We only had one bank account, right? So that Uncle 
uh, you know, and, and, and my brother and myself and all of us, we all paid in. So if one fellow had a job, you know, mustering or Brandon, the other fellow had a job, wall pressing or it all got paid into the one bloody account. Right. So that every bugger right. had a bit of something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But when you look at what Vesties, like... It's the same with the Vesties because all those kids are pulling out of the same account, aren't they? <laughs> oh, but shit, you're dead right. You're yeah. bloody dead right. We should go over and say, oh, look, look, Mr. Vestie, now, I don't want to sort of uh, point things out, but, like, uh, I've just added it up on my calculator, and uh, you've had, uh, it was three, uh, uh, 300 uh, square miles, all right? Yeah. And we've got to apply that out, and this is what you bloody owe us, mate. Yeah. Because the, the, the calculator would be waving a white flag. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because you, you, the decimal point would be so bloody far to the right that it would be off the calculator. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we, where, where does he live? He lives in England. We should go over there. We should take Batuta over there. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go find him. There's, there's <laughs> this famous book written by um, John Anderson. He's a former journalist up there with the Townsville Bullet, and he wrote a book called Bagman Millionaire. It's about a lot of those old families up in the Gulf, the scrappers, and a lot of the kind of uh, Murray Stockman perhaps maybe did end up with a, f- a few beasts that belonged <laughs> to Vesti <laughs> and built an empire off them. <laughs> that was the thing you'd often come across. See, as you know, in the old days, the, the, the stock routes were called 10 chain wide. There were 10 cricket pitches wide, right? Yeah. Way over in the bush there somewhere, you'd be riding along on a bloody horse. You'd find this dead beast, right? And it'd be in there for you know, five, five bloody months. But the hide would still be there and it'd be pulled around and that. But you'd find that it only had two legs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's when the chainsaw come in. Yeah. That's what they do is they'd run the bloody bullock out, you know, cut the throat, down and go, okay. Then they get the chainsaw real quick and zoom it down the bloody centre after they gutted it. Yeah. Take that half of the bloody beast that was their meat and then just leave the hide and the thing and say, oh, no, the dingo, dingo pulled it round like that. That's why it only got two legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they'd, they'd be pinching the bloody meat, mate. Yeah, yeah. Well, nowadays yeah. they just load them onto a truck in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh, Jesus, they're getting good, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we should have got a job in the stock squad because <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could yeah. track. Yeah, we yeah. could track, and we, you know, we, that, <laughs> why didn't they give us black fellas a job in the stock squad yeah, instead of yeah. putting those fellas from bloody Queen Street, Brisbane in there? <laughs> Queen Street yeah. farmers. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. They're like the Vesti mob. Yeah. We'd never bloody clear which, which end of the Bullock farting. <laughs> now, tell us with this, this new release, you've, um, any other time outside of this virus, you'd be, um, Maybe putting on a show or, or, or doing a bit of a tour? Oh. Or is that all over for you, mate? Just about. I mean, my back's buggered from lumping bloody, you know, wheat bags and that when I was a young fella. Yeah. I've had three operations on my back, my friend. Yeah. I love getting on stage and talking to people, but this whole celebrity business just gives me the bloody scowls. Yeah. I do pop up occasionally, like I did down at Tamworth. See, the first time I went to Tamworth, that day, yeah, well, that was 40-odd year ago. With a motorbike and sidecar and a uh, <laughs> a guitar and a little swag, I went down to Tamworth, and they 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 didn't like me, right? Because they said first of all I didn't have a permit, and secondly they didn't like or understand what I was singing about. You needed a permit. So I went out to 
Yeah, yeah, this was years ago. This is back, yeah, on the street. I was busking. Oh, lucky driving but again. I went out to Katingle. I went out to Katingle and played with these folk group mob and that, all that. And uh, I went back this year because Paul was playing at it and Barnsley and them. And they said, come down, and we, we stayed down there. And, yeah, I, I got on stage for the first time at Tamworth. Yeah, right. Only, only for one song. Yeah, right. One song. And then I had I, all of a sudden I heard these people singing the chorus. I looked across the stage, and here was Troy, and there was Barnsley. Right. And there was um, there were there. Yeah, there was uh, Casey. Casey was there. They got their mic, and they were singing the chorus. Right. So it went pretty good. It went pretty good. But, yeah, I, I was – they didn't kick me off this second time, so I was right. <laughs> you didn't need a permit either. I only did the one song. Right? Well, Paul did half it anyway, so I was all right. <laughs> you were just there yeah. for the scenery in Tamworth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. That's the first thing you got to do, though, when you when you're going to to play. Go and see the sound parlor. Yep. Have a good yarn to him. See what's going on. They're always good blokes. Go and talk to the roadies. Because without them, you haven't got a bloody clue on stage. They can make yeah. you look like a big yeah. One story we ran on Batuta is uh, a small band's kind of setting up for one of their first gigs in the back of a pub, and the and the soundy goes, yeah. "Tell you what, mate, it wasn't like this was when I was on the road with Akadaka. I don't know about this operation, <laughs> mate." <laughs> oh, Jesus, they always pulling it. Hey. <laughs> They've always, yeah. always, pull always got a name to drop. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah. Look, I just yeah, another thing too. I was just thinking. Oh, oh, the the wife's saying something there. <laughs> she's she's doing this this sort of thing. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> have to wrap it up. Oh, we could go on for ages, yeah, you we mom. We'll have to come visit. We'll have to come I, visit yeah. Stanthorpe. We'll come say good day. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I said, as I said, we we don't drink, but yeah. uh, you fellas can have a bloody ton of fun here, mate. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, you'll be wobbly there before you. Wobbly knee before you get to the third one. Yeah. Third, third one. <laughs> they were saying, just, just lastly, I'd say they brought in phone reception to Windora about two years ago. Um, so just the little town of Windora gets the 3G. Uh, and the publican was ripeable. He thought he thought he was going to lose all the business because people are going to stop coming to the pub to talk to each other. He thought when they bring mobiles uh, to the town, uh, it was going to send him broke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it would. It would. That's right. Because uh, that's where you got, you went to the pub to get your jobs and everything. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm getting the wind-up. Yeah. yeah, to All get right. your jobs, to know the gossip that was going on. And don't t- tell you that the, the bloody blokes aren't gossips. Believe me. You walk into the pub and get some old fella, your bloody ear will, it, it'll, yeah, you'll, get, you'll, get, you'll lose your bloody hearing with them. They gossip like hell. Well, uh, okay, you Kev, fellas, Kev, good, uh, good to you catch you. Thanks, Thanks for joining Kev. us today. It's been a great yarn, and um, good luck with the new release, hey? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, look, thanks so much, you fellas. We no we need you blokes. Yep, thank you. Thank you, Vinny.